Jeff, good to see you. How are you doing? Doing well, and you're right about it feeling like the first day of spring. I th- thought we were getting spring last week, and then yesterday it felt like winter was coming back. Indeed. Oh, I know. And Scott, how are you doing down there in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania? Also a beautiful day here. Good to be with you. Great, great. You know, before we get started, I, I just want to comment. Stephen, is that a new still photo that you had when you're not showing the video of you? Uh, fairly new, yes. It's very nice. I have to get. A, I have to update my still photo. That was very nice. <laughs> well, what? Wait, what? We can have photos of ourselves on here. Well, we we didn't want to tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, welcome to the program, everybody. Where we talk about Bible topics and questions, and sometimes a little goofy things like this when we get started. But we're glad you're here. And uh, today, well, before we get into the questions, that we got two questions that came in, very interesting questions. But before we do, I just want to emphasize that we really want you to ask us questions or make comments on what we're talking about as we're going through the questions, or maybe it's going to spark another question. And so go ahead and click that Q and a button, type in your question and we'll get to it. If you're coming in from Steven's Facebook page, Steven. Then you please just leave your comments or questions in the comments below and we will get to those as soon as we can. Great. And if you're watching or listening to us from the podcast, which go up once a week, you don't see what the screens are, but you can still respond to us by going to BibleQuest.tv after the show or after the program and or during it and type in any comments or questions you want to bring to us. And we're going to hope that everybody joins us from any channel that you're approaching us from. All right. So, guys, let's get started with the first question. And this comes from from Josh, it says, the point I really want to address is what we can do when it seems God is not there. For example, we keep praying and it and it seems there's no answer. Very good question, Josh. Where do yeah. you want to go with that, guys? Well, I think one of the first things to realize is that when you're in a place like that and you feel like God is not there or that he's not answering, you're not alone in feeling like that. I know a lot of people feel isolated um, when, when they're dealing with doubt or dealing with difficult situations like that. And one of the ways we know that is you read through things like the book of Psalms and the book of Psalms just has all sorts of different scenarios that the psalmists found themselves in, you know, a couple thousand, 3000 years ago. And there are many times when they felt that God wasn't listening and they're crying out to God. And so the first thing to realize, I think that's helpful is that you're not alone in that. Could, could I run an idea by you guys uh, in connection with this? Cause you mentioned the Psalms, Stephen and uh, Psalm 22 is of course a, a famous Psalm, but, uh, and, and there's a prophetic picture of the sacrifice of the crucifixion of Jesus. But there's also a picture of David's uh, feeling like he was alone in that Psalm. And, and an idea occurred to me recently, and, and let me run this by you and see if this makes sense to you. And uh, we're familiar with the passage in Hebrews 13, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? Mm-hmm. In, Psalm, in Psalm 22, David starts out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. My God, I cry by day, but thou dost not answer, and by night, but I have no rest. Clearly, there's a picture of somebody who feels alone, feels estranged from God, or at least feels like God is not answering him, not responding to him, right? 
Mm-hmm. The way a lot of people feel a lot of times. Absolutely. The next few verses, David says, Yet thou art holy, O thou who art enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In thee our fathers trusted, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They, to thee they cried out and were delivered. In thee they trusted and were not disappointed. So he says, I, I, I feel alone. I feel like you're not responding to my pleas. But I know for a fact that you have a good track record. <laughs> Our forefathers put their trust in you, and you were there for them. And then you get down to verse um, 19, and David says, But thou, O Lord, be not far off. O thou, my help, hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul. So he seems to be saying, do with me as you've done in the past. And he seems confident that God will. Verse 22, I will tell of thy name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise thee, etc." So you see the despair, kind, well, I don't know if despair is the right word, but at least it's a feeling of, of loneliness and separation. And yet he knows that God has been able to, ha, has been reliable in the past. And he expects that God will be so in his case. Is that called trust? He, yeah. And he bases that on how God has been in the past. Now think of that statement. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. In a context in Hebrews where the writer has been talking about the persecutions his readers are facing and challenging them, saying, you've not yet resisted unto blood. And then he reminds them of the mountain to which the Israelites came and how awesome it was and says, we've come to a greater mountain. Our God is a consuming fire. And then he has some practical exhortations, reminds them of their the former rulers or leaders, those who had led them in times past. And he says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, forever. Is that the significance of that? We can count on Jesus Christ to be who he says he is, just like we can count on God to be who he has always been, even when we're feeling like he's not responding right at the moment. What do you think of that? I think you've been reading my Psalm 22 outline, Jeff, because that's like exactly the place I go with Psalm 22. Um, and I do think that there is a connection almost there stuff. with Hebrews. Almost what? Stuff? I know, right? What do you say? Oh, it's almost like you're both using the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Psalm 22. What's so interesting to me about Psalm 22 is it is a roller coaster ride. He's going back and forth and back and forth between looking around at his circumstances and then looking up toward God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the Psalm starts with this lament. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far away? But then as you pointed out, he looks up to God and remembers, but God, you've been good to our fathers. Mm-hmm. They trusted in you and you delivered them. But then he comes back to his current circumstances. There's just another wave of lament. And then in nine through 11, he looks back at his own life and remembers mm-hmm. even in his birth uh, from the time he was born, God has helped him to get to this point. Mm-hmm. So we can look back at past generations. We can even look back at our own life and see times in the past when God has protected us, helped us, even when we were too young to remember. And then there's this kind of another wave of lament in the next section of the psalm, but it ends with this statement of trust. You know, don't be far away, be near to me. And then the rest of the psalm is praise. And so I think Psalm 22, as we talk about dealing with this problem of God feeling far away, is a helpful template for some suggestions as to how we ought to do that. First of all, bring our lament to God. Don't run away from God. 
even if we feel like he's far away, he, we can still pray to him. Uh, he still hears us, even if we feel like he's far away. Remember what he's done for others in the past. Remember what he's done for ourselves in the past. And then praise him, thank him for, for the, the good things that he's done. I, I think that's a helpful application of the psalm. Scott, you were going to say something there, weren't you? Yeah. Uh, one of the reasons I think this question often comes to people specifically is when they have prayed for something and they haven't got it or they haven't gotten it yet. Uh, and sometimes, one time I heard somebody say, you know, I feel like my prayers just stop at the ceiling. Yeah. Uh, or somebody says, why didn't God uh, answer this prayer? And there can be more, more than one reason for that. So let's start with, um, from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, ask and it shall be given given to you. Uh, But as he described it, and of course, uh, John will say, if we ask according to his will, as Jesus describes that in Matthew 7, he gave a parallel to a human father and, and a request from a son. And, and what what did Jesus say about that? And what can we learn from that? If, if a son asks for a fish, will his uh, father give him a, a stone? Wait, I'm mixing it a up. Snake. A snake. If he asks for snake. bread, will he give him a stone? Right, 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 right. And he says, if you then being evil then know says, how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the father, the heavenly father, or go ahead, Scott, if you've got it there, you can read that. Yeah, uh, if you being evil know how to give good gifts, you know, how much more does Father know how to do that? So, Stephen, you've got a one and a half year old there. Um, does she ever ask for things? Certainly. You Do you give her good gifts? We sure try to. Yes. Do you give her everything she wants? No, because there's a lot of times where what she wants would not be good for her. Actually, she's knocking at the door right now. <laughs> Maybe she wants something. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's plenty of times. No, she doesn't always understand. And there's times where she wants to touch something or she wants to go somewhere or she wants some item or even just a, more food or a certain kind of food. We say, no, that's, that's enough. Or no, that would hurt you or no. And of course, she's one and a half. She does not nearly understand all the reasons for the things that we say no to her about. Uh, We try to gently teach her when she can understand. But again, I I think that when we think about God being our father, that's one of the helpful things to remember is we are like children to him. We don't always understand why he says no or the reasoning behind each thing that he tells us to do or not to do. But we can trust him. He knows what's best for us. Think, thinking of us as children to God, it just and then you talking about your daughter there, just all of a sudden I can just see us kind of like the little child. Mom, 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 hey mom, 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 mom. And then the child maybe <laughs> maybe the child's yes. put time out or sent to the room. Mom, hey mom, mom. Well, you've been put in time. Mom, mom, mom. Like I don't think mom's listening to me. Mom, mom. But mom is concerned and doing what is good for the child. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes we're like those little children. That is right. I had a comment just come in yes. um, from Herman who says Zacharias and Elizabeth were asking for a son, and God gave them their son on His time, 
not their time. <laughs> Boy, that's for also sure. Abraham <laughs> many more. What'd you say, Jeff? Yeah. Yeah, that, that was for sure. It wasn't on their time. It was, yeah. Mm. Yeah, good right. comment. And if we got everything that we prayed for, if we got everything that we prayed for, uh, when we get uh, a ba- bad health scare, what do we do? We pray. When a loved one is is facing uh, disease uh, or, or potentially life-threatening surgery, what do we do? We pray. Now, if it was God's job to say yes every time, then Hebrews 9.27 would no longer be in effect. You know, all the early Christians would still be alive and in good health. You know, and uh, considering what some people pray for, driving nice cars. Uh, you know, <laughs> we will not get everything that we pray for. And so that's part of it. Here's another thing, too. Uh, and now this, this is two-sided. Uh, we don't want to make the mistake of Job's friends, but we also don't want to make the mistake of the Israelites in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. So let's first think about Job's friends. Bad things have happened to Job. Uh, and I don't recall the text saying that when the bad things happened, he was praying. But what would you probably do is those bad things were happening. Pray to God. And yet bad things still happened. Yeah, it, it happened. Uh, what was the, the answer of Job's friends? Oh, it was something you did wrong. You've been a bad guy. You've been unrighteous. Yes. And so, and and the book makes it very clear that they were wrong. They didn't, they started making up charges. They didn't know that he'd oppressed widows and and, and things. They're they're just making things up. And one of the points of the book, Job, is don't do that. And tragedy will befall good people. And we don't always know what's going on. And so don't do that. However, is it profitable to, for us to do self-examination? In Isaiah 59, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he can't save, nor is ear heavy that he can't hear. But there was a reason that their prayers were not being accepted. What was it? Verse 2 says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So um, it's, it's, the, it's kind of the difference between Fiona and sometimes being told no and not understanding, but she shouldn't sit in the corner thinking, I don't believe in mom and dad. I don't think they're here anymore because I didn't get what I wanted. And a runaway who has abandoned their parents and, and gone far away and saying, why aren't my parents giving me what I want? And how many times have you heard people who are not following God complain because God's not answering their prayer? Hmm. Holly just came in with a good comment. Um, I'm dealing with this right now since my brother died suddenly in October. I don't understand why, but I'm praying for comfort and peace. Yeah, and that's certainly the thing to do is to turn to the Lord with our, our sorrow. And that's one thing I appreciate about Job in the book of Job is from what we can tell, we're kind of given a, a picture where the curtain is pulled back in chapter one and two of Job, and we get to see what's going on uh, in the spiritual realm a little bit. And from what we can tell in the book, Job never gets 
an explanation of why these things have happened. He's been a righteous man. Uh, I do think Job does end up saying some things that are wrong about God and he repents at the end of the book, but God still doesn't come to Job and say, Oh, Hey, by the way, Job, here's why this, all this happened. He's never given an explanation of why all this happened. And there are times where we are not given an explanation for everything, but it doesn't mean that there's not perhaps a reason. And it also doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, God specifically causes every bad thing. Uh, We live in a world that is broken by sin and time and chance do happen. Uh, And so we have to be very careful like the friends ended up doing. The friends ended up trying to speak for God and saying, I know what God's doing here. He's punishing you for your sin. And of course the friends were wrong and God directs them to have Job pray for them at the end of the book. And we just have to, in other ways, too, be very careful not to speak for God. It, the, the question we're answering uh, is that why does it seem like God is not answering us? Isn't that what it is? Because mm-hmm. that makes the implica- that implies that we are asking him and we're getting the appearance that he's not answering us. Scott? Mm-hmm. And to Holly's question, sudden death. Uh, Death is, is a painful thing, whether it happens after a protracted disease or you, you get a sudden phone call and, and everything's changed immediately and unexpectedly. And having gone through both of those, uh, um, one thing that helped me was Acts chapter 12. Because in Acts chapter 12, you have James has been seized and Herod had him put to death with the sword. That's James, the son of Zebedee, the brother of John. It pleased the Jews, and so then he seized Peter, and he was going to kill him. But, of course, if you know the text, in Acts chapter 12, um, Peter is delivered. The angel delivers Peter. He's able to go and be free. He goes over to John Mark's mother's house where they're together, and they're praying, and he lets them know he's alive. And so you see there were people praying, and I assume here they were praying for Peter. And Peter is delivered. What a great gift that was. But James wasn't. And when James was arrested, was nobody praying then? People would have been praying then too. And Jesus picked out 12 men to be his apostles. And out of those 12, who seemed to have been the closest to him? Who were the ones, the only ones that went with him farther at Gethsemane? Who were the only ones that went up on the Mount of Transfiguration? James, Peter, and John. Peter, James, and John. Yeah. And here's two of them. And the Lord didn't intervene and save James. He did intervene and save Peter, but only only temporarily. Because what does John 21 tell us is going to happen to Peter later? His death is not going, the end of his life is not going to be one of peacefully living out his life in freedom. Yeah. And so both die martyrs' death, one earlier and, and, and one later. Uh, and so we can pray and, and appreciate the privilege to raise our petitions, but that's what they are. They're petitions. They're not orders. Stephen, I liked your, your phrase, uh, pull back the curtain, um, that, that we get a, a, a view of what's going on behind the curtain in the book of Job that Job apparently never got. And... When it comes to the loss of loved ones, every one of us has lost. I'm, I'm talking the four of us who 
talking right now, all four of us have lost dear loved ones. And probably most of the people who are watching this have lost dear, dear loved ones. And we're not going to see behind the curtain exactly why it was, why, Drew, why your wife got the disease that she did. We're not going to see why the loved one we lost died right then at that time in life. The big picture is our lives are finite upon this earth. We've been told that sin has come into this world. And as a result, death is here. And our lives are finite. And we're not guaranteed that we're going to live 70 or 80 or 90 years. Um, and, and we're not guaranteed that everything is going to be a bed of roses while we are alive. In fact, we're pretty much guaranteed it won't always be. Um, so what we have to do is put our trust in the God who has demonstrated himself to be faithful, reliable, true to his word, true to his promises. And when our time comes or the time of our loved one comes, we accept that knowing that God's plan in the end is going to win out. It seems... The question says, it seems God is not there. Maybe we're not looking for him. Maybe we're not seeing where he really is. We don't, so like, go, going through it, the brethren were there. Those, were, those people were his instruments, so God was there helping out in that area. So sometimes we're not, maybe we're not looking in the right places to see where he is. Definitely we need to go to his word. That's where we get the strength. That's where we get the information that Stephen, you were bringing up about Job. Mm -hmm. What he's done in the past. Yeah. And of course we don't always know why, but I've heard people say, you know, where, where was God when this loved one of mine died? And I've heard it said before, well, he's in the same place that he was when his son died. Mm -hmm. Um, And that God is not a God who's just far away, but God is a God who experiences loss and experiences grief as well. And not least of all grief over what we've done against him. Um, and, and so I think it's grateful. I, I, I'm grateful. It's the blessing that God has given us these glimpses into times in other people's lives, whether it's Job or the family of James Um the son of Zebedee uh, or these others to see how people have gone through this and to see how God has brought people through this before. And again, this goes back to the principle from Psalm 22 that Jeff brought up, seeing how God has been faithful in previous generations and in other people's lives gives us strength to trust him in our life and in our situation. Here's another uh, life uh, application, real time application. Herman says, my son was being bullied in school. I asked, was he praying? He said, yes, but is not listening. That really made me start taking, talking actions and taking actions, I guess, and pray even more for my kids and thank God in his time that kid that was being a bully was taken out of my kid's classroom. Yeah. I'm not sure if I read that right, but the point I think is that he started looking I started looking at himself like I need to I need to check into this myself. Am mm-hmm. I praying to God? Am I reaching out to him enough? Right. And also in this situation, it sounds like the Lord did answer prayers in the affirmative that the, the kid who was being a bully was taken away. Mm-hmm. And there's times where when we pray to God and we say, Lord, this is so difficult for me. Please give me deliverance. Take me out of the situation. There are some times that God does that. But even if he does not, 
we know that God is still faithful. Paul in Second Corinthians chapter 12, when he three times, it says he implored the Lord about his thorn in the flesh. And the Lord chose to leave that there. And he said to him in Second Corinthians 12 in verse nine, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul goes on to say, I'll boast about the things that are difficult for me. When I am weak, then I am strong. And I think about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, There they are facing certain death if they do not give in. And what they say to the king is such a powerful principle. They say, our God is able to save us. But even if he does not, we're not going to bow down to this image. God is not our servant. We are God's servant. And we have to be resolved to do what's right, even if God does not answer our prayers in the way that we had hoped for or in the timing that we had hoped for. He's still God. Scott? And in the short run, I think we would enjoy it if we went through a period where every prayer we prayed, we got it immediately in just the way we wanted. But would that make us better people? I really, really, really don't think so. No, just like a kid. If you give them everything they want right when they ask for it, you're going to spoil them. Um, But there's a time that we wait and there's a time that we just trust and knowing that God's a good father, he'll, he'll take care of us. Okay. The book of Proverbs says a child that gets his own way brings shame to his mother. All right. Why don't we, if we don't have any other comments on this, uh, move to our next question. It's a good segue because you just mentioned about trust, right? And that second question says, why does like God it. entrust sinners? Yeah. And before we even get into that second question, let's just do take a second and say we are looking for more questions to answer on the show. So if our audience, if there's a question that this discussion has sparked in your mind, please feel free to leave that in the comments below or contact us in some way about that. Uh, We'd love to have more of your Bible questions, even if it's unrelated. uh, We're always looking for more questions. So the second question today uh, comes from Mike and he asks, why does God entrust sinners to bring sinners to him? Which is a, a good question um, because certainly God could come down and individually, you know, plead with people uh, if he wanted to, or write it in writing on the sky if he wanted to. Um, but he entrusts former sinners to bring other sinners to himself. So this is an interesting question. Well, why, why does God do that? Thoughts on that? Well, if he's going to use the human, if he's going to use a human element, who else are there? Who else will it be? Right. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The only exception to that was Jesus who took on flesh and uh, appealed to, to those to come and follow him. I think one lesson we can learn from this. He comes could from have said, he could have said what was that, Scott? He could have seen angels. Uh, the angel could have gone to Cornelius and preached the gospel to him. The angel that sent Philip to the eunuch could have just gone to the eunuch and explained Isaiah 53 to him. So, Isn't that interesting? Here, but that's not all. 
Uh, and, and, and so God has chosen, as, as Corinthians talks about, to entrust this into earthen vessels. And so uh, some things to explore on that. What do you think? What did you say, Jeff? That sounds interesting. Isn't that interesting? What Scott was saying about in both the case of Cornelius and in the Ethiopian eunuch, an angel spoke to them, could have told them everything they needed to know. But instead, the angel told Cornelius, send to Joppa and get Peter. And the angel said to Philip, go talk to the Ethiopian. You do it. And uh, so, you know what? People today who suppose that uh, they get a direct message from God, and that's that's really what you're looking for. You're looking for God to speak to you directly. Yeah, I wonder you, why you exalt yourself above the Ethiopian eunuch and Cornelius. <laughs> and notice in the Cornelius's case, Cornelius says, "What him? He's wanting to kill me." Now that now you're thinking of Ananias. Ananias, who saw. Oh, I'm thinking Ananias, right? Boy, yeah. how quickly yeah. we get confused. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> but that is that—that that was his response. That's right. Yeah, right. Lord, you want me to go where to get who to do what? Yeah, yeah. Well, why don't you send an angel? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, Andy uh, put in here First Corinthians one twenty-one, which reads: For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. And, and certainly there in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 is this strong theme of earthly wisdom versus spiritual wisdom. And, yeah, God knows that there's going to be some people who, because of the messenger or because of the nature of the message itself, Christ crucified, stumbling block to Jews, folly to the Greeks, people are going to reject it because it's not what they're looking for. So, so I, 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 you guys may need to correct me on this. I don't have all the answers as to why God chose to do it the way he did. Why did God choose to speak through earthen vessels? I've got a thought, and you guys may need to correct me. You may need to say, no, Jeff, that, that's not right, but I'll run it by you. Um, there have been times when God has spoken directly to people, but for most people on earth and most, for most of time, we're dependent upon getting it from those to whom God did speak. We've got to listen to the to the um, to, to Peter who comes to us or or writes to us in our case instead of hearing the angel for ourselves. And I, I think of the idea that we walk by faith and not by sight, as Paul says in Second Corinthians. And to, for those who have a direct communication from God, there's a certain experiential element to this. Um, and yet what God has chosen to do is not so much to communicate with us in a, in a way that would be subjective from our perspective. I felt this, I experienced this, uh, I had this vision of God, therefore I know, but rather he has expected us to truly not only live our lives by faith, putting our trust in what God has said, but even to receive his word by faith, putting our trust not in the person who comes to us, but in something outside of ourselves rather than something that we have subjectively experienced. Um, Do you think think that's a part of it? I think probably so. And there's something about hearing a message from someone who is a fellow human being with all of the suffering and the difficulty and 
just someone who, who's like us. Um, actually, it's interesting to me that that's how Elihu comes to Job uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the book. When, when I, think, I think Elihu gets through to Job and he says, I too was pinched off from a lump of clay. He says, like, we're, we're, we're on the same level here. And if it's some other kind of being coming down that we feel like doesn't understand us or something like that. Um, well, no, God entrusts the message to people who have gone through and have learned to trust. Um, and it's not this subjective experience. It's something that they've heard themselves. Scott, you have a thought? Two things here from listeners. The first one, uh, Carol Gerber writes, when we are struggling or tested, we are more likely to take advice from people who truly get it and have been tested as we are. That is why Jesus came down and was tested as we are. Uh, a couple comments on this real quick, and then there's a longer uh, comment and question. I want to make sure we have time to get to. Yeah. Uh, but on, on, on Carol's point here, yes, we have Jesus, the high priest, who, who didn't just stay in the form of God, but took on the form of man face trials as we do, Hebrews 4, yet he didn't sin, and he showed how to do it. But then his body, he's the head of the church, his body, that's us. We're his fingers, we're his hands, we're what he works through here. And so there is a great power when we will be repentant and turn, like in Titus 3, remember that we also used to be these ways. But now, by grace, saved uh, and washed from our sins, and now dedicated to, to good works. If we will do that, there's great, great power in the example of a reformed sinner. We can be a walking advertisement of God, what God can do to clean up a sinner and make them a servant of God. The, the flip side of that is if we're not doing that, if we're being hypocrites, then you've got uh, Romans 2 again. You that say that you shouldn't steal, do you steal? You know, and so then the Gentiles blaspheme because God, God because of that. Uh, but let's go ahead. If, if there's nothing further, we've, we've got limited time left. And there is a, a important question up here. Does anybody have anything on that? Before we no, em, Emma's got a good question. I really appreciate her question. Let's get to read that. that. Read that question for us, please, Jack. All right. Um, hang on here. I got to click back to it, but I'll click right back to it and bring it up. Got it. Okay. So Emma writes. I would love to hear discussion at some point about trust and doubt. I've been wrestling with whether I'm praying with doubting. I always trust that God can do something that I ask, but I always assume that he won't choose to. In other words, my attitude is similar to asking my parents if I could invite a friend over. I'll ask because it's what I want, but I assume they won't say yes because they usually don't. Uh, is this attitude wrong? Is it okay and similar to a thy will be done attitude? Or is it doubting God's goodness as a father figure who wants good for me? Is it impeding my prayers because I'm sort of asking, but protecting myself by not getting my hopes up? This is an obscure and probably psychological question. But if you discuss it sometime, let me know. We'll try to get this. This is what real quick. I say, Emma, quit asking your parents if you can have your friends over. You've got your own house now. You can do what you want. <laughs> but there's the short answer. This is a good question, and I think a lot of us may – I know I do this at times. There's somebody who all hope has been given up as far as their medical condition is, is concerned. They're going to die, and, and I still choose to pray that God will grant this person health because God can do that. But do I steel myself against the disappointment by saying, but he probably won't? 
Two things. One, there's an echo coming, Jeff, on yours, and I'm not sure if there's two things. Drew's been trying to get our attention on that. I'm not sure what it is, but good point. And I, I would say this. In James 1, it talks about the problem of doubting when we ask. And in that context, he's specifically asking if we pray for wisdom, which, which is a good thing. We don't always know that every prayer of ours is something that is the will of God. Right. And think. Is it God's will that we be wise? Yes. Is it God's will that I live, you know, a thousand years? Probably not. Stephen. I'll go ahead and finish your thought. So if, if I have a request that I don't know is the will of God, if I have a personal favor that might not be best for somebody else and in the long run might not be best for me to lift up that request, I don't think there's anything wrong with realizing, you know, this might not be his will. This might not, but I, I can offer this petition. Stephen. I also think it's interesting. The reaction of the disciples uh, at Mary's house, when Peter is delivered yes. and he's standing outside knocking on the door and <laughs> goes to the door and is so excited that it's Peter that she runs back in and they don't believe her. And I wonder if they said something like, shh, be quiet, Rhoda. We're praying for Peter. And it's like, <laughs> there he is at the door. As apparently, they, they weren't expecting that answer to their prayer. That they, they, that Peter can't be at the door. But, like, but you're praying for Peter to be delivered. I mean, I don't know what they were exactly they were praying for, but I think that there are circumstances like that, that we can still be praying even if we are kind of emotionally holding ourselves back, assuming that God will answer in the affirmative. It's like pulling up to the drive through and you start to give your order and the, they just hand you your food before you're finished. <laughs> they don't, they don't understand why it's right. Yeah. Okay. Fact, that's possible. It's possible. They thought Peter may have been dead already too. Cause they said, Oh no, that's his angel or that's a vision. Right. Because James was just killed just a little bit before that. Right. It's, it's interested. Yeah. Right. And so they, uh, they doubt it. There's a balance between yeah. trusting that God can do anything and being willing to accept that when he does that, but also not being presumptuous because obviously we can go to an extreme on either side. We can assume that none of our prayers, God's not going to do anything. And we can't, we can take that to an extreme, but we can also, it's also dangerous if we just assume that God is our, servant at our beck and call. And that's what leads to kind of the problem in the first question that we answered today. Well, I, I prayed for this. Why didn't God do it? You know, it's like, well, he's God and he may have his reasons. Go ahead, Scott. Emma says uh, the passage that you just mentioned about uh, Peter and Rhoda. Uh, Emma says beside that passage in her Bible, she has, she wrote, don't be surprised when your prayers are answered. Scott, you made the, the point earlier this morning. We were talking about some things in preparation for the program today, and you compared the attitude some have to kind of God as a vending machine. Put in your prayer and out pops you, yeah. the, what you ask for. God is not a vending machine. Right. He has his will. And now his will may allow for that for which we are asking, and he, there's some latitude there, and he can respond to our prayers. But he's not, I like that expression. It's not a vending machine. It's not just put in your prayer and out pops what you want. Mm -hmm. and By the way, this is just a side note, but uh, all four of us are displaying on the video right now. 
Um, I'm not sure when that format changed, but not just the speaker is showing up. So public service announcement. Go ahead, Scott. I uh, uh, mean, I better take my finger out of my ear. <laughs> <laughs> so an- an- another PSA. Uh, I don't know if you saw the notes, Scott, but you are now host. Uh, oh, okay. So, so you I don't know what host does, but I guess I'm that. Oh, and, oh, and it's because oh, of Scott. We have the videos all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so so can I change that? Yes, you can. Yes. What do I do? Go to speaker view, maybe. Is that it? Speaker no, view. Click on the three dots in the upper right hand corner and make somebody the host. Make Emma noise. says it's like the Brady Bunch intro. Start looking at each other. I don't know which direction you guys have. Three dots. And uh, you know what? I don't have three dots, and we've only got just a few minutes left. So why don't we? We'll don't just worry continue about Brady Bunch mode. Herbert says he likes it this way. <laughs> By the way, now you'll see we, we've got a system between ourselves. Not very complicated, but we you know, that's why we're doing this. We're not trying to butt in. It's just to let the others know where it's going to go next. You let out. You I was going to say you let out our secret. Actually, our videos let out our secret. Well, yes. <laughs> Oh, Holly also likes it better this way. Uh-oh. Yeah. So that's two viewers who made it very clear that they like our faces smaller and more distant instead of larger. <laughs> that's one way to look at it. I, I can understand that. I think I like that myself. Coming, coming back to our question just real quick, because this is a good question, because there are some times where we're trying to help other people or we're trying to bring – some encouragement or some rebuke and people say, Oh, well, you're just a sinner too. How can you, you know, well, that's going to be true for everybody. Um, and I appreciate the way Paul viewed himself in a passage like first Timothy chapter one uh, and starting in verse 12, first Timothy one 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But listen to this in verse uh, 16. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. God uses sinners to convert sinners because the converted sinner is to be an example to them. And like Scott, you're talking about, you know, the uh, before and after thing. And sometimes you think about that. If if someone is like a, a weight loss instructor or something, and they've got the before and the after pictures, it's like, this is who I used to be, but now this is who I am. And if there's no difference, nobody's going to listen. Exactly. And so Paul is holding himself up and saying, look at who I used to be. If God can save me, what can he do with you? And, And that's a powerful proclamation of the gospel, that it's not just the message, it's the person who's been changed. Listen to this passage from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And, and several times today, I've, I've referred to passages, but haven't read them. And we need to remember, it's also just helpful to read them. 1 Peter 2, 9. You are an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
a people for God's own possession, that you may show forth the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then verse 11, beloved, I beseech you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul, having your behavior seemly among the Gentiles, that wherein they speak against you as evildoers, that which they behold, uh, excuse me, they may by your good works, which they behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Amen. I think we're about out of time for today. Thank you to everybody for bearing with our technical difficulties today, which have been <clears throat> several. Yes, and uh, there's, there's other ones that were going on, and now I'm wondering, Scott, do you know how to end this meeting? Because you are the I host. I just found the button. That's okay. <laughs> I... I, I feel this sudden surge of power. Such power. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank Again. everybody, though, that came in today, regardless of our technical difficulties. I uh, want to invite everyone to come back again next week. Come in through the app. gives you a little bit more, opera- a little bit more um, opportunities, and you can see some more things, I think, on the app. Please send us your questions. Thank you for the good questions and feedback today. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you.